Paul wants to know, who do you worship? Paul is encouraging you to worship the one true God. Everyone in here is worshiping something. Everyone in here, whether it is yourself, whether it is a relationship, whether it is a person, or your right for worshiping Jesus, you are worshiping something. So Paul is going to help us answer these questions. Uh, how can we know if we truly are worshiping God? How do I know if my relationships are honoring God? Or in our work, are we supposed to worship God with our work? Paul wants to help us answer these questions. Starting in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it reads, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask for your power and presence this morning. I ask that you may bring clarity to your word and bring about life transformation, Lord. Teach us to worship. Teach us how to enjoy the grace of God that you have freely given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Will you speak to us today on the light that you have, that has come into the world to save us? Will you teach us how to become children of light, that we may no longer dance in the garbage pits of darkness no, no more, Lord? Teach us to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A father took his daughter to walk one day and recognizing that he hasn't been with her in such a long time and seeing her anxiety he uh, looked down to her he said honey you know I love you right and she said yes daddy you say that but I don't see it I wonder if that's some of our relationships with God today some of us will say we love you but God doesn't see it. You see, our love for God is demonstrated through our worship. You see, how we live and how we honor him tells of our love for God. And I know many of you have uh, probably walked an aisle before, confessed faith in God, dedicated and rededicated your life to him. But have we really loved him? Have we worshipped him or are we worshipping him? Jesus himself said of the false worshippers in Israel, Matthew 15, 8, he says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, Paul is explaining to us how to live a life of worship to God. The main idea is this, a life of true worship takes all that we are and surrenders it to God always holding in view the mercies of God. A life of true worship takes all that we are and surrenders it to God, always holding in view the mercies of God. So what does a true life of worship look like? Read with me in verse 1. It says, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, 
brothers by the mercies of God. The first point that we must understand that a life of true worship, to be children of light, to be becoming children of the light, a life of true worship has God's mercies as its foundation. You see, Paul, Paul knows that you cannot come to faith in God by yourself. Does Paul encourage the, the Romans to take on the act of worship by their own strength? Or with all their willpower and wisdom? No, Paul says, by the mercies of God, he urges them. He, he's pleading. That means he's desperate that they may grasp that this truth, you can only come to a life of true worship by the mercy of God. What mercy is Paul talking about? In Romans 5, 8 through 11, it says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Our true worship, our worship, your worship could only be true if it comes through the mercy of Christ. By God sending his son to die on the cross for mine and yours, Sin. Listen to the reality of our lives before God in Ephesians. Chapter 2. Paul says this. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, the spirit that is now at work in the son's of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That means that God rightly could destine us all to judgment. See, David had right theology when he said, In iniquity. In sin, my mother born me. And to be born into a child of light, you need a new birth. And that new birth comes through Jesus. It comes through you turning and placing your faith on Jesus. Listen. If this isn't true, if... if if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, all that singing that we just did, it means nothing. All that coming and back and forth to church, it means nothing. Really, in God's eyes, you're wasting your time. Because God doesn't see your good works. He sees your heart and what you place your faith in. God sees Jesus. Working through and in you. 
You see, I love the game uh, Jenga. Anybody played that before? Jenga, you know, so the point of the game, right, what you got to do is you stack up this big tower of blocks. And if, you, if you're really good at the game, you know, you're, you're a risk taker. You go for the, the bottom pieces, you know what I mean? And the point of the game is the last person to take out a block and cause the, game, and cause the uh, tower to fall loses. You see, if your foundation isn't built on Jesus, it's just as faulty as that tower in, G- in Jenga. If your foundation isn't rooted on the rock that is Jesus Christ, the rest of your life will come down. If our worship isn't built on the foundation of God's mercies to us, we can believe that one day it will fall apart. And the reality is, I don't even have to tell some of us in here that truth. Some of us have already experienced a life that's falling apart. Some of us are experiencing a life that's falling apart right now. And Paul wants you to turn from that deceitful living in sin and turn to him. See, in, in, in Ephesians 5, uh, I was wrestling with this text while I was preparing, and it says this in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, you can't just imitate God. You got to know God before you can follow him. You got to know who he is. You, you have to imitate him through his characteristics. You have to have experienced his goodness. You have to have experienced his healing. You have to have experienced him truly to be able to imitate him as beloved children. You see how different of a new identity that is between children of wrath? As beloved children. And it says this, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And in verse 3, it reads on, it says, But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It's not serious God takes sin. God said it shall not even be named that means people should not even, even be able to point out in us, point out in you that this is true of you. And he says this, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I don't have to tell you much. You know that in this world today we are being deceived. And here's the reality that it, the kids, you, you're going to go to school. 
And someone's going to tell you that, that the way for you to feel fulfill, fulfillment, for you to be satisfied, is for you to pursue sin. Some of us have already been deceived that we think <laughs> that one thing will be able to fulfill us, but it never will. And we have seen that. Remember when, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well? She went pursuing things over and over, pursuing multiple relationships, hoping that it would fulfill her. But only Jesus could satisfy her. Once she stopped worshiping men and finding her hope and satisfaction in them and finally placed it in Jesus, then her life will be fulfilled. So do not be deceived. You don't pursue sin because you love uh, yourself too much. You pursue sin because you love yourself too little. God loved you more than you could ever know. And he gave his only son for you. That's real love. That's real love. Two. Two. A life of true worship is one that worships God with the body. I kind of already got there a little bit, but got ahead of myself. But Paul says in uh, 12.1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, after we have founded that our Worship is founded on the mercies of God. Paul calls us to present our bodies. Paul uses a sacrificial language that we will see in Leviticus. And when people would offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving, this isn't, this isn't something that Paul thinks the Romans should try. This is something that Paul commands them to do. To offer your body as a spiritual sacrifice. And this is your spiritual worship. The word spirit here means reasonable worship. That means it's irrational every single time you pursue sin to satisfy you. It doesn't make sense every single time you go to something else other than God for your satisfaction. It doesn't make sense. And it puts you on the same cycle over and over and over again until finally you hit rock bottom. Paul says you should offer your body to God. See, so Paul doesn't say present your hand to him. He doesn't say uh, present your foot. He doesn't call us to the, do the hokey pokey with God, you know what I mean? And no. He calls us to worship God with all of ourselves. That means the Christians and Romans would have adopted uh, a platonic way of thinking, right? Seeing the body as corrupt in a prison of the soul. But Paul sees the body as a beautiful piece of art, God's handiwork created for his worship. And Paul says, give that to God. Kids, 
children, give all you are to God. And don't let anyone else convince you otherwise. To say that presenting the, the, the body to God in a way that is holy and acceptable and is reasonable and true worship implies that there is opportunity to present the body for corrupt worship. He just told them in Romans 6, 12, 13, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions and do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Paul is saying you could actually present yourself to death. You could plan to kill yourself spiritually. See, and I, I, I love how sometimes, uh, you know, I would kind of, in my earlier days, I would be like, oh, God, why did, why did you make me do that? If you would have had made this happen to me, I would never have chose this. But we are all premeditated sinners. God has provided many escapes for us to flee from our sins. But we love it so much. You see, you can't present your members to sin and to God. It is impossible. If you're in a desert and all there is to drink is poison, would you drink that poison? Then why, when we have living water, do we choose death? Why do we choose death? Giving your body to God is not a one-time thing, right? It's not going to be, I made, a, profession, I made a, a confession of faith and I'm good, you know, like. No, this is an everyday life. Every day you have to die to self. Every day you have to wake up and ask God for new mercy so that you can enter a new day. Every day you need God's grace poured out on you to fulfill what he has called you to do. Every day you need God's mercies so that you can truly worship him. Every day. Man, we, we used to sing this song in, at a, a youth crusade back home, uh, and I'm sure y'all sang it here before. It's like, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Man, we used to be sick, we used to sing that song. Man. But then after the youth crusade was over, everyone would forget everything they just sang. I mean, we just spent days singing, my life is not my own. I give myself, I give myself away. That's not true worship. That's not true worship. 
It is a tragedy to say that with our mouths, to proclaim that, and to not live that out. You see, God punishes those with the knowledge of the truth more than those that don't have the knowledge of the truth. You see, the power to constantly give the body to God is only doable by his mercy and grace. That's why it is in light of his mercy that we just said. You need supernatural power to live a life of worship. So the body is no longer a prison of death. The body is a vessel of worship. The body is that which you use to bring honor to God. I, I wonder, just this past week, what have we been offering our bodies to in worship? Maybe all of our lives. How has our bodies been given over to corrupt worship? Have we been giving our bodies over to life or have we been giving our bodies over to death? And Paul's call to us is that all that you are, your body be presented as spiritual worship to him. And the body also is not, is not dead. The body is not presented to be presented as a dead sacrifice. He says be, to be presented as a living sacrifice. It's not dead like the sacrifices of the animals would be, but it is living. Matter of fact, God rebuked Israel for worshiping dead idols. But God calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. So we start to carry out the ministry of priests, but we don't bring other things to sacrifice. We bring ourselves as the sacrifice. As Jesus brought himself as the sacrifice. You see, everything that we do is to be motivated. Your worship is to be motivated. I thank God. I offer all myself up to him because of what he has done for me. You see, in Ephesians, when he says, as beloved children, the scripture says that we have been adopted, that we could cry out, Abba, Father, by the Spirit of God. You see, if we know the Father, and if we know the love that the Father has for us, then we will worship Him. I'm not talking about knowing Him as a dad. A lot, a lot of us could be dads. I'm saying Father. One whose, whose whole being has been given over to the care and protection of His children. One whose whole life has been given to the 
flourishing and the growth and the satisfaction and the joy of his children. You see, here's the thing about worshiping God. A lot of the times our worship is based off of the model that was presented for us. A lot of the times we imitate what we see at home. And as parents, your primary task, your primary duty is to teach your kids and discipling them to know and follow Jesus. That is your primary duty. Discipleship starts in the home. And guess what? If you don't disciple your kids, someone else will. Do you know this? I I read this stat the other day. 75%, 75% of boys, when they grow up, commit domestic abuse because they saw it done in the home. What model are we presenting? Mothers, how are you encouraging your daughters to be godly women? How are you encouraging your daughters to constantly be sitting under the truth in the light of Jesus? Fathers, how are you encouraging your sons to be raised up and be godly men who love and fear the Lord? What model are you presenting? But here's the thing. If you're failing at doing that, there is grace. There is grace through Jesus. If, if, you, if you're saying here, I, I want to do that. I'm not doing that now, but I want to do that. The first thing that you need to do is come to Jesus. You need to let Jesus transform you before you commit to transforming anything else. God desires your worship. The last thing we see is that a life of, of, of true worship is one that worships God with the mind. Uh, do any of you remember, you know anything called the Hitler Youth? In Nazi Germany, the way that Hitler would train up a race of hateful people who hated Jews and despised them, he trained them since they were kids. Because he knew that their minds were moldable, that he could implant in them, that he could form in them a hatred for the Jews. And you see, this time in the lives of our children, the, the youth in your church, is such a precious time. That's why Paul tells us in 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are the minds of 
the children being renewed. Kids, how are you renewing your mind? Be careful what you take in. I mean, I love rap, but Cardi B is tripping. Be careful what you take in. Then he reads on that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, Paul is telling them, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, Paul is not saying something different than the body. The renewal of the mind is an offering of the body. The Romans were depraved in mind, Romans 1 says, and worshiping the creatures instead of the creator. In those old depraved ways of thinking that they possess leaves them dead. And he's encouraged them, leave those old ways. Romans says, what have you gained from the things that you have now, that you are now ashamed of? What have you gained from it? You have been transformed if you are in Jesus, so you are to pursue those things. See, this is important because we forget the power of sin. Right? The power of sin is such that in a, it comes out in a way that it rationalizes sinning. If you're a student, school starting soon, sin might cause you to rationalize cheating on this exam. Well, he, you know, he gave it online. You know, what I mean, that's up to him. Or if somebody has the answers to a quiz, you grab those answers. Or sin might even rationalize you pursuing a relationship outside your marriage. It might even have you rationalizing leaving Jesus and clinging to the world. I mean, have you ever had those times where, where, where the, you just felt like Satan was just tempting you? Like, what good is it? You just keep struggling. What, what good is you, you pursuing Jesus? How is this working out for you? There's no satisfaction here. You've been suffering for two years. Your whole life has been seeming miserable. Why you just leave it? Just leave. Look, there is way much more better for you out there than what God has for you. That's how you came at Adam and Eve. You think God really wants what's good for you? It starts in your mind. You think God really cares about you? That God really wants to see you free of whatever it is you're struggling with? That God really wants you to flourish? That God really wants you to grow, to learn? Do you think that God really desires that for you? It starts in the mind. Not only are we in a fight with our old selves, but we also are in a fight with the pressures that we face every single day in this culture. 
You see, in, in 1748 in England, the culture was so ratchet. It was just wild out there. It was ravished with immorality. And it overtook many aspects of people's lives. There were sexual morality and substance abuse, and there was uh, a great drinking problem in these times. In London at this time, there were 500 pubs. 500 pubs. One newspaper reported this, that a nurse, after the baby was, after she participated in delivering a baby, she took the baby and laid her by a fireplace. And because she was so drunk and inebriated, she forgot where she had placed the baby. And by the time she came back, the baby was burned alive. You see, the mind is an important thing. She had lost all control of her mind. And if you do not allow your mind to be given over to God, you could do something just as bad, if not worse, than what she did. God is calling us to be renewed, to be transformed by the minds, allowing the will of the people to be aligned with God. That's how you and me learn the will of God. By having the mind of God. By knowing the Father. I love one of the most, one of the most uh, amazing prayers of Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 9 through 10, he says this. He says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer for this church was that they may grow in the knowledge of God. What are we taking in? What are we giving our minds over to? What are you allowing to rule you? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just and whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, and if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, our transformations happens by us thinking on the things of God. God, you want to know how to be a, a child of the light. God has given you everything. Right? We're saying the word will be a lamp unto our feet. Everything you need to know about how to navigate through life is in God's word. Everything you need to know about any trial you're going through is in God's word. And this is how we are 
filled with the spiritual knowledge. This is how we renew our minds by daily coming to the word of God. You can't Wikipedia God. You're not going to read about him on Twitter, Instagram. I don't care what pastor is posting it. You meet God in his word. And that's how he transforms your mind. God has provided for us mercies beyond compare. And those mercies provide a foundation for us so that we may give him our bodies working together with our minds so that we can offer true worship to God. And, and, and if you think, man, like, I'm up here and I haven't had this experience. Man, I, I grew up uh, pursuing sin. I love sin so much. I loved it. And when people would try to share the gospel with me, I'll just you know, give them the Heisman. Because I wanted this. But in 2008, my friend uh, Eric Plancher died during a football practice. He was just running at University of Central Florida and died in the middle of the field and passed out. At 18 years old. And I was living the craziest life. But Eric was a believer. And so everybody kept telling me, man, it's all good. It's all good, man. Eric's in heaven. I know, you know, I'm sad. His own mom came to me. I'm sad, but I know I will see him in heaven. I'm like, she's crazy. And I asked myself that night. I said, Didson. I said, if you die, where would you go? And guess what I said? I said, I will go to hell. Because I knew my life wasn't satisfying to God. I knew I was rightly, God would be rightly justified in allowing me to spend eternity apart from him. But later on that summer, I was reading Matthew chapter 11, verse, starting verses 28. This is what God said to me. At that time, I'm in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed to them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to know how to be children of the light, you must come to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to be presumptuous and think that everyone in here is walking in humble obedience to Jesus. So my plea to you is to come to Jesus. If you are living a restless life, come to Jesus for his word says he will give you rest. And this, children, is how to begin a journey on being children of the light. Let your faith start with the gospel. Let your minds be renewed and offer your body to God. And don't be deceived to walk into a pit of death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for the hope that you have given us in Jesus. Lord, I pray for the children as they begin school this week. That you will allow their minds to be attentive to the truth of your gospel. That you will allow them to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of light in their schools. Lord, I pray that the love of Jesus will flow in them so freely that the overflow of their lives will team over into the lives of their teachers and their fellow students that they may come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, I pray a special blessing over each and every single family in here, over every father and mother in here, Lord, that it may be people who know and love you, that it may be people who can say that they have found rest in you. That they are true worshipers of you. Lord, would you meet us today in a new way? May we give all that we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.